to the bizarre world of Pets. Pets, a startling, daring motion picture. There is an animal in every woman. Rare and dangerous species. See that road to the right? Take it. That's not the way the to... road, I said. Wild, untamed. All right, smart ass. You want these in your jewels? What do I do if he tries to get away? Shoot the bastard. Bonnie. Candace Wilson as Bonnie. Sensuous. Sexual. Cruel. No. I'll show you. Helpless. The way I've always been. With your hands tied. Then I can take... Take you before I summarize you. Who cares? And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Joan Blackman as Geraldine. A woman filled with strange desires, forbidden tastes, who would stop at nothing to satisfy her passions. Well, all females want to be played with, you know. Vincent, Ed Bishop. All my pets, they love me, you know. But I must punish them when they deserve it. Bonnie! Vincent. Hi, Jerry. A man obsessed by a weird fantasy. Will you keep her in a cage? Well, it's very comfortable. There's plenty of room for two or three. But he's inhuman. Pets fondle them. Pets play with them. Love them. Don't leave me. I'll show you what you are made for. Only one thing. Possession by a man. Pets train them. The tigress has spirit. I like that. On your knees. Break them. Ah! Oh, I say. Crawl. But watch out. They fight. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. Pets. That's cool. We haven't had a fuzzy animal family-friendly movie yet. Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What is this idiocy? In Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools, but I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration, or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to Now go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! Virginia, summon the subject! 
Virginia, when I sent you to get the DNA of a grunge icon, I, I thought you'd get, I don't know, Kurt Cobain or Scott Wheeland. Man, I miss Scott Wheeland. Why did you get me Perry Farrell? No, 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 no. This is just unacceptable. Unacceptable. I don't even think he's suitable for the island. Just, just drive him out to California and throw him off a cliff. Szeretném felvagdalni a majmocskádat és megetetni a pirányákkal. Úgy hasznosabb lennél nekem. Oh, it's you. Would you like some ice cream? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I like ice cream. Hmm, this is good. You like it? It's, it's like extra with... rich. Yes, it's made with goat's milk. Oh. I make it for all my uh, lab monkeys. Hmm. It's not bad. <laughs> so, did you see the episode? Oh, the... I saw it. Sorry. Did you see the film? I saw it. Oh, it was a film, all right. It was shot yes. on film. 100%. And everything, yes, I know. And uh, for those of us, those of us listening in on these tapes of our experiments of this phase, I gave uh, Chris Pets from 1973, starring uh, minor grindhouse queen Candice Rialston. And her breasts. Mainly her breasts. There's a good amount of her breasts in this movie. Although I gotta say, I was I was surprised that they held back yes. for about a half an hour. And but after that half an hour, it's it's a uh, Candace Breast City. I was. Uh... I was a little surprised that there wasn't any full frontal in this because it just seemed like a full frontal type of movie. You know what well, I mean? The way it was going. Yeah, but you know, it was a um, it was definitely a self a soft core porn film. But it was an example of a one. We we've had a couple of soft core of films so far. Um, you know, uh, Emmanuel and the Lost Cannibals definitely counted. And um, you could count Arena kind of as a soft core film. Yeah, yeah. Full but frontal. This is the first Innocence Abroad film. And this was a kind of a sub genre of grindhouse cinema uh, where you followed a woman a, through various misadventures. Which involve her being disrobed at various points. And then it takes a very bizarre turn <laughs> in the last 20 minutes. But we'll get to that, right? I, I have some theories about why that happened. Okay. I loved it. Okay, good. good. I, well, I, I had to... I had to uh... I had to take my VPN and uh, and set it to Iceland, but okay. when I did, there was a copy of it on um, on YouTube, mm -hmm. and that copy was the sort of fetishized grindhouse copy that you right. saw in the like in the you know Rodriguez Tarantino mm -hmm. the trailers. Right. I mean. There is a there's a pink lo scratch line down the fir whole first reel of the movie, mm -hmm. and you know lots of lots of scratches, cut clips, and and w when nudity starts, you can tell that they they couldn't take out they didn't want to like they got a one where they didn't take out all the mm -hmm. the whole sequence, but frames were taken out <laughs> all yeah. over the place. Once you got to a nude. It was a scene. It started becoming very, very choppy every time. Mm -hmm. So it was just that it was basically a, a um, you know, by the numbers grindhouse print of of the movie right. that I watched it on. I don't know what the origin of it was, but that mm -hmm. that enhanced it greatly. 
and it wasn't <clears throat> and it wasn't so bad though like the 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 quality somebody had probably released it and so it wasn't muddy and you mm-hmm. could you could hear all the 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 dialogue clearly right. and stuff so it was uh it was very pleasant <laughs> and when i sort of first got it i sort of sort of zipped through it and i'm like yeah, it doesn't look like a lot happens in this movie. It looks like this might be kind of boring. And boy, and 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 if you look at it that way, it sort of looks that way. But when you watch it, it's not like that at all. It's sort of Russ Meyer-like in the yeah. the way it unfolds. Well, that, that's probably why um, the the director, whose name we're going to give out now, um, was inspired by. Russ, Raphael Nussbaum is the gentleman's name. Yeah. Shot in and around the port of Los Angeles. Uh, my version that I saw was from the Vinegar Syndrome um, restoration of the film. So it was basically cleaned up, although there were still some glitches in it. And yeah, this is the Innocent Abroad films were very much based on the the Ross Myers kind of weird you know just women doing women's stuff and being bold well uh, yeah and the, i mean especially at the beginning when 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 the two women when the two women hook up and, and right. rob the rich guy is very you know sort of faster pussycat kill kill, kill, kill yes and the dialogue and stuff and the way they interact with each other but then i was thinking about it and uh this is a this is an adaptation of a play so mm-hmm. it was it when when i saw that a lot of the dialogue made sense like mm-hmm. i think the the first three quarters of the movie almost you know more than the first half of the movie mm-hmm. was they when they took the play they were able to pad it out with you know scenes of you know stuff happening around LA mm-hmm. and you know uh, and stuff like that and then when it came to the the actual parts where you'd have that dialogue it, you could totally see it as a stage play you know with her left alone with the the rich guy who's all right. tied up and 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 it's a very stage, stagey sort of exposition that they have between. I gotta the two tell you, other. I think the, the first um, forty minutes, the whole the whole sequence with the uh, with the with the black chick and they're holding up the the rich guy. I think that was added on. I think the play is starts with uh geraldine picking her up that would make sense because that first part was nothing really ties in from it ever again you know there's that whole beginning sequence that the first sequence is with her and her brother and getting her brother beat up by and i thought we were setting up you know like oh maybe she's gonna end up with the black pimp Right. Or something, or or all this, and then she ends up with the woman, and they have that. And you're right; it is sort of disconnected. It is sort it's sort of set up, and it's it it's consistent with the uh, the ending of it. But it could totally be you. It could totally be added on. I could actually see that because it it, it would make a lot more sense if that was uh, if that was the case. Because it's almost like two different movies. It's right. almost like the movie just completely shifts gears and then turns around almost 180 degrees. Hey, we only got an hour film. We need a little bit more footage for a feature. What What's really hot right now? Black people. That's what's hot. Mm-hmm. So they, they put that whole big thing with the you know with the, the black guys chasing his brother, chasing her brother, and Pat. And the the guy coming back from the um, coming back from the beach and all that was just made up almost pretty much on the spot. Um, this was Candice Rialson's first speaking role, by the way. 
Uh, and then she be she went to be go on to do things like Candy Stripe Nurses, which I think is on the docket. And most notoriously, her last speaking role was in the Porno Chatterbox, which was the film about the talking JJ mm-hmm. that uh, made it into the um, Golden, Golden Turkey Awards. Yep, that's yes. how I know about it. So um, this is also a film that we've noted we noticed because we were facebooking each other back and forth. There are a lot of celebrity lookalikes. In... It's almost bizarre. Like I started really thinking, like, uh, who really is Mark Hamill's father? <laughs> because I started doing the math in my head. It could be this guy. I mean. Okay, Mark and and it and this guy is sort of this weird amalgam of he I mean he had to be in, in his 40s when yeah. he did this role, but he's an amalgam of what Mark Hamill looked like in his 40s and uh like early Star Wars like first Star Wars movie Mark Hamill he had the hairdo from Star Wars. There's also a little bit of of James Coburn in him. A little bit, yeah, and a he's little bit. Got- but, John Delancey's voice. That's that, but but Mark Hamill has a little bit of that. Like Mark Hamill's voice is also pitched a little high and and a little and has a little softness to it. And yeah, but this guy this guy also reminded me a lot of um, oh, I can't remember the actor's name who played uh, Trelane in uh, start in the original Star Trek, oh, which was oh, very uh, much Squire of Gothos. Yes, yes. And he was very, very much like a uh, little bit, you know, like a like a toned down Liberace. <laughs> right. And since, of course, it has been acknowledged that the Squire of Gothas was the inspiration for Q, it all kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so. I mean, he's got that wide face of Marquette. He had the eyes and like the mouth and just sort of the, the way he would look at the camera. And I'm just like. Uh, you know, those <laughs> actors got around in Hollywood, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that... And I mean, there's there's three separate um, Michael Nesmiths in this movie. Yes, yes. There's, there's her brother, then there's her boyfriend who break the, the guy who breaks in and ends up being her boyfriend for a short, short, short period of time. Very short. Yes, and then and then the guy who picks her up at the end, which is sort of like Michael Nesmith with long with long Manson hair. I also thought that there was a a much. In fact, I was wondering if it was the same actor, the guy who played the gardener, mm-hmm. and the guy who played the owner of the fruit stand, where he, where uh, Bonnie meets. Yeah, uh, Geraldine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Maybe, maybe they were just there was some heavy makeup just to get a few actors. Well, there and also the it's the obviously sort of, low budget. We're we're not talking about a film, and most of that budget went towards that final act. Yeah, it had I mean, what better thing to film than a play? Yeah. If you're going to do do something low budget, you know, and it's all location shots. A lot of there's a lot of clips on YouTube from this movie mm-hmm. just because somebody's store is in the background. So there, so there's all <laughs> sorts of people who like clip this movie just to see certain locations as they were in 1973. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had that that going for it. And then you just have to like find one like person who let you use their mansion and then you need yeah. one set for the for the zoo at the end mm-hmm. and you're pretty much golden so uh the guy who plays vincent there are basically three main characters in this film there is bonnie played by candace rialson who we already discussed uh there is geraldine played by joan stockman i think is the name of the actress and there's ed bishop ed bishop plays vincent stockman who is a very prolific um, television actor, perhaps best known for roles in for for his role 
is in Jerry Anderson uh, TV shows. That would make uh, sense. He kind of looks like a Jerry Anderson puppet. (laughs) Including our friend Andy's favorite Captain Scarlet and the Mysterians. He was the voice of Captain Blue and the narrator. So, hi, hi, Andy. He gets to have the most fun in this movie, I think. He, mm-hmm. he he gets to just chew his way through this movie and have a riot. Although, it's funny. For some reason, the thing that I remember him most vividly from is from the one-hit wonder uh, TV show, Whoops! Apocalypse. That sounds vaguely familiar. It, it was on... Fox in 1982 it was a fairly early show of theirs it was at the it was during the time when Fox was still broadcasting on Sundays from 7 to 11 and I think it was on at at 10 30 and it was not a very good show (laughs) I would believe that yeah, it was just not a good show. But God bless him. He still worked through um, 2005. And apparently, unfortunately, he died in 2005. So he basically was working up until the very end of his life. So uh, God, God bless him for that. And then we get Joan Blackman, who looks an awful lot like Linda Carter. Yes. And she is she's apparently still alive. She was in a couple of Elvis movies and was married to Rockney Tarkington. Okay, there you go. And uh Oh, she was also in the Destructors. Uh oh. That's bad. That's very bad. The the Destructors is one of those spy, one of those third rate spy movies, but yeah, but she she looks an awful lot like Linda Carter. There is a weird relationship between her and Bonnie. Yes, Bonnie calls her mommy a lot. Yeah, when she wants something. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that we never see anybody else's breasts, but Candace Ray Alston. No, yeah, we we will sort of see a little side boob yeah. or like that they'll like um the black woman at the beginning to show the to distract yes. the gardener, but you'll see see you know from behind or mm. something. So yeah, so I guess maybe they can only afford to pay Candace Rialston for boobs in the movie. Maybe I, I don't so. know, or maybe maybe that well now if if you saw the restored version, it probably had all the scenes in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, yeah, yeah. I that's what I I found it extremely like tame for for a yeah, for a. It's got a chasteness to it, despite. Yes. Despite it's like it's like they, they had a play where they threw a little bit of nudity in. But in mm. 1973, a play could have a plays did have a lot of nudity yeah. in them at that time. So it could have it. You know, I mean, they played the scene with the rich guy. That was almost like a porno movie. She was reaching right. down his pants and stuff, and it was, it was set, it was set up a little more graphically. But everything was off screen and and very. Uh, if if you were to have shot something in those days for a TV movie, that's how it would have been shot. A, a lot of the way it was shot felt like a TV movie. So probably a lot of the crew had worked on a lot of stuff like that too. It just felt like. You know, competently shot with a little bit of, you know, extra art direction in, involved in it, but you know, quick and quick and, and cheap. Um, but speaking of of lookalikes, what about the sound alike? The theme song to this is. I was like, why does this sound so familiar? Was this like a minor hit or something? And I'm like, oh, no, oh, it's almost the melody of me and Bobby McGee. Yeah. Well, it was obvious that they were trying for um, Harry Nilsson. Yes, and, but it sounded, but the melody was me and Bobby McGee, mm-hmm. but it had that just sort of like mellow, laid-back simplicity 
simple lyrics of Harry Nielsen, except yeah. for the female singer. I'm trying to think of um, of uh, the name of the the woman. It reminded me of. She was American Indian. Oh, oh, Buffy Saint Marie. Buffy Saint Marie. It reminded me of a like a Buffy Saint Marie type vocal. Well, the woman's name was Terry Rinaldi. Let's let's acknowledge her. But yes, mm-hmm. you're right. It was very much in that kind of early seventies. Folk rock milieu. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of uh, one tin soldier rides away from Billy yeah. Jack. You know. Have you ever heard any of um, that band's other work? No. Like Hold the... it is considered by many to be one of the first metal bands, and they went all in on the Satanist stuff. If you ever find a uh, copy of their first album, it's got Satanist, Satan references all over it. It is very hard. It is very metal. And wait, the band that did One Tin Soldier? Yes, yes. That's so weird. They, they did the the, the reason it, that song is. Um, credited to Coven is because the lead singer of Coven is the lead singer on that track. Nobody else in Coven is involved in it. But it's considered a Coven song. It's just... You gotta find that first album. You see, because... It's so funny, because Billy Jack was a big deal when I was a little kid. Everybody loved Billy Jack movies. And, you know, I finally got to see Billy Jack. And then I, I... In our... Um, middle school library. We actually had the book, "The Making of Billy Jack" by Tom right. Tom Laughlin, Laughlin, Lofton. Right. And uh, boy, like I, like a heavy metal band. With he was, I wouldn't say he was Christian. He was sort of weird, like Christian New Age mixed with American Indian. Mm-hmm. You know, very much like he was trying to put that into Billy Jack. But uh, you know, right. like. When something would go wrong on the set, he's like, you know, and that we could tell the establishment was selling, sending evil spirits to, you know, interrupt the. So like having a band with, that does like heavy metal Satan songs would seem like he would be like, no man, that's bad vibes and blah blah blah. But you'd never know it from One Tin Soldier. Yeah, no. Um... That's like one of the most clear-eyed, just sort of like, it's almost naive, you know. Oh. J- since, since we're talking, since we're on this tangent, I should mention um, that the woman, the vocalist, in case anybody ever is interested, the vocalist, and she's still alive, and she is still recording, and thank God she has gotten a lot of her acknowledgement as one of the pioneers of heavy metal, was Esther Dawson, who went, goes by the name Jinx. And if you do a uh, a Google search or a Bing search or whatever search engine you use, you should be able to find uh, her website. Because, like I said, she's still recording at this day. And it's... And the uh, album that I was telling you about was called Witchcraft Destroys Minds and Reaps Souls. <laughs> Oh, man, I, they were going hard. And there is an argument. There is an argument made. I don't know if it's made by them. That, because they predate Black Sabbath. And the first song on that album is Black Sabbath. So there, there is an argument made that they inspired Ozzy and everybody to name their band Black Sabbath. Well, couldn't it just... Isn't it like... Isn't it like... I know that, that, that Ozzy and those guys based it on the movie Black Sabbath. Right. What was that? A Mario Bava movie? Uh, yes. Think. Yes, it is. Yes, so it I is. think... So why can't we just agree that it's like Mario Bava basically just like spontaneously inspired heavy metal? Right. <laughs> like, you know... Chris Teller on the phone. Let's see if we can get a ruling on this. Yeah, we need we need one metal we need one band doing Black Sabbath in America and one band doing Black Sabbath in Britain and we'll yeah. 
will cover the world and will destroy minds and reap souls. Well, it's a wild movie, isn't it? Yes, it is. And and I also would like to to mention that there's a, another like, um, you know, soundtrack to it that's more of a you know, just sort of your standard chanka chanking guitar yeah. and and organ driven sort of mondo soundtrack too by george what was it del barrio yeah that will probably be a lot harder to track down than the than the theme song i'm sure the theme song is flying out all, all over the place but there like, so people can see exactly how bobby mcgee-ish it is most of these uh innocent abroad films have some sort of kind of folk rocky on the nose on the nose lyrics that just sort of state what sort of what is on the character's mind right roughly you know in the roughest sort of most vague terms right or kind of try to place the main character or main characters has these kind of winsome nymphs kind of wandering through life to see just what they can find. Yeah, that was... Because that... you'll notice Bonnie doesn't have any reason for just for just drifting through life other than I, I ran away from home. Well, obvious. Well, like, I mean, it's obvious her brother's a a, a dick, and he beats yeah. her up. You know, that's established right at the beginning. I think before he even like hits her, she says something like, "What are you gonna hit me again?" or something. So yeah. we know, yes, we know. It's like her first one in the film. But there were a lot of characters, and like things like personal trauma, mm-hmm. and you know, messed up upbringings and stuff were only like sort of addressed in the most like after school special sort of way of thinking about it but there were i mean a lot of people just it just seems like like the the level of um creepiness in those times compared to the times today you know like the the scene where she's like why do you have a gun to the black girl when she sees a gun in her purse and she's like you know, I'm sparing myself the inconvenience of being raped. And you can see her go like, oh, oh, that's a good yeah. idea. You know, and and that was just sort of like something that that like, I don't think that was too like crazy of a concept in the in the it wasn't like a Russ Myers movie of like complete exaggeration. It was right. it was trying to be have it was definitely going for exploitation but like whether it was the filmmaker or just from the play there was there was an idea behind it you know yeah. and there was a sort of rough feminist sort of message mm-hmm. that was sort of trying to get out but couldn't get out because the characters are just sort of like blown in the blown in the wind you know right. for as far as a morality and, and yeah and kind of unfocused cuz we don't even yeah. though i think the film wants us to believe that Bonnie is, as I, I keep referring to her, the innocent abroad, but also requires her to do things like tease, um, you know, Mr. Dobray, the um, rich man who picks her and Pat up. Well, that's the thing is she's innocent in this movie she's innocent as where she's just obviously naive sort of naive Mm -hmm. but like innocent wise there's only that like first few minutes of the movie and when she's in the car and they go for a ride with the the rich jogger guy and all of a sudden the other girl pulls a gun Mm -hmm. and she's you know she didn't see that coming she thought they were honestly going for a ride with him she pulls a gun and she's just like oh my god you know what are you doing don't do that and but it's probably within five to seven minutes after that that she's just like totally going along as an accomplice right riding along with it and she sort of seems to but 
now that I'm now that I'm verbalizing it like this, it mm. sort of it sort of reminds me of like a stray animal, mm-hmm. a stray animal wander around and like, you know, kill rats and eat them and fight with other cats and stuff. Right. But then see hum- whatever human it sees, it goes like ah and purr and rub up against its leg, and Which get I a home. Might have been the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> question mark? right exactly that's that's <laughs> the thing is that's the thing is it's 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 like okay this could totally be an exploration into and and not that they weren't trying to hammer at home with a sledgehammer because everywhere in this movie there's every different kind of pet although it takes them like an hour and 13 minutes yeah. before you actually see a kitty cat right of all the pets you don't see the cat till like almost you see a tiger and at I the very beginning but um you know so that i mean there's everybody's walking dogs and yeah. you know there's parrots and you just the well, the camera that scene when she's running away from uh, geraldine and she's on the beach and there are these two dogs just happen to be frolicking around in the surf yeah yeah everywhere everywhere there were always there are a lot of dogs in this movie yeah a lot of dogs on leashes and and stuff like that and, and so it, that you it, know and and there's totally the the you could pick up the the ideas of the nature of people who would want to have pets and why right. they would have pets and then this guy who like you know and 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 he's you know, odd says the art well they could have they could have and 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 for a while you think Bonnie's go and then. It would have been much more interesting if Bonnie had actually gone along with being his pet because you could have explored the people who want to be pets or right. and stuff. But yeah, then he's got his whole, you know, hyper masculine philosophy that you get to hear in the end where it really right. turns into a play with, you know, a bunch of monologues and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But it's it's weird because and they don't really and I don't know if it was just the actor or if it, how he was told to act, but he's got a little bit of sugar in the tank. You know, he's yeah. got a little bit of like, I thought his character was a gay art dealer at the beginning, you know? Okay. And, uh, it, 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 and maybe it's just the, that the way that seventies way of dressing with the black turtlenecks and the mm-hmm. giant pendants and stuff. Yeah. But like then they had the weird scene where he's talking about his, mo- you know, domineering mother and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and you know it's like okay, this could have been about him like thinking that he was gay, you know, struggling with being gay and hypermasculine and his pets and stuff, and it it does it, you know, it it really all it ends up being is like, <laughs> you know, he collects his pets and then Bonnie breaks them all out, leaves yeah. them locked up with, with the other person who tried to enslave her and, and runs off into the night. And uh, I've already figured out the sequel to this movie. Okay. Pets 2, Tiger on the Loose. <laughs> yes! It's just a pure horror movie of a tiger loose in, in downtown L.A. Right. After being let loose from this guy's house. <laughs> well, I don't think any of them... She opens up the cages but none of them seem to leave except for uh the dog who leaves with bonnie i think because uh, that's how because i mean th- those hollywood dogs are trained to do that sort of stuff the rest yeah. of those animals are all like from like probably from the same animal handler brought them all over and they're used to being in their cages <laughs> yes. so, so they're not all like wild animals waiting to get free. They were all just sort of like, "Oh, my cage is open. I wonder what's going on." You know, yeah. They 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 had no sense of urgency to them whatsoever, and you can tell they didn't mess with the tiger too much too because mm-hmm. they did a limited amount of shots of the tiger. It could have yeah. gotten a lot more dramatic with that tiger. That yeah. tiger was pretty well tamed, and that actor was uh, pretty um, pretty well like was pretty calm he i mean he's playing he the the tiger like yeah. sort of swatted at him and he yeah. grabbed its tail and sort of like played around with its tail so it seems like he was pretty familiar with that and mm-hmm. comfortable with that gigantic tiger <laughs> <laughs> so you know maybe the trainer and the tiger were real mellow and got it but i was just like that's um that's pretty crazy 
It's right. it's not roar style crazy, but right. You know. But um, but it was a nice touch. Yeah. So this it, it's weird because this movie is a little messed up. Mm-hmm. In its, um, it wants to be seen as feminist and empowering, and yet the philosophy is all the philosophy spouted by by Vincent is is kind of creepy. <laughs> Oh, it's super, yeah, it's super, it, it reminds me of the documentary Pimps Up, Hose Down. Yeah. Where, they, where they're all talking about how you control your, 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 your hose. Mm. And, 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 you know, and he got into the whole, you know, the, the nature of women is to be this and that. It, it was very early, like, incel, you know, what they, mm-hmm. what they call incels these days. Except he was sort of an older version of it, <laughs> of yeah. an incel. But, you know, I mean, I also think a lot of that, like, that sort of stuff was, had become a trope in those days, like, immediately um, following Psycho, you know, in the decade yeah. or 10 or 12, 13 years after Psycho came out, there was a lot of, like, the, you know, the unhinged Psycho. What was that movie with, uh, Terrence Stamp, like the collector, the butterfly collector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was based on a book that there was a lot of like sort of stories about somebody, somebody who is just unhinged. Right. Keeping a human. Yes. So to speak, but yes, but it's a, it's a little long. At an hour and 41 minutes. It's not in our usual 90-minute sweet spot that we usually hit with most of our films. It didn't feel long to me, though. It didn't. I wasn't getting bored at any part of the, the movie. Well, I think I had little artier aspirations, so that's why it ran longer. Yeah. I, but I don't know. Also, I mean, the thing is, is that the reason why I think it felt more like a movie is that it is actually surprisingly free of that kind of footage that people do just to fluff up a film. Like, I was expecting a lot of dr- just, I'm driving over here. Driving and walking. Yeah. Yep. And, and the only extended driving sequence we get is uh, with Mr. Um, Mr. Debray. And there is plot going on in that. Scene. Yeah, yeah, no, the, yeah, and and when she's coming back, when she goes to his house and comes back with the, that scene was very interesting where she goes back to his house to get the money, mm-hmm. and the interactions with the with the gardener, who knows <laughs> knows something's up. He's watching her rifle through their stuff. Well, might as well just have like flecks of foam coming out of his mouth. Yeah, yeah, he but is, she was just like, oh, he saw me, but she's just like, oh, he'll be happy if he sees my boobs. Yeah. It was, that was, that, but that, like, that was, had a bit of, like, class, mm-hmm. you know, resonance to it of, like, you know, the the gardener and I are both sort of in the same situation and recognize it, so he's not right. going to, que- he's not going to question because he doesn't care and, you know. And, uh, you know, if he could get, you know, it was, I thought that was an interesting little thing. I, I lost all sympathy for her when she chucks the dog off the yeah. path, though. So. You know it's coming. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. From the very coming. beginning. The very beginning. The first scene we see her in, she's abusing a dog. By the way, did you notice that, the, that uh, Frank Parker shows up again? In the film with a woman who may be, which is uh, credited in the film as his, as Mrs. Dobry. No. From your in the first art gallery sequence, there's a woman saying, "Let's buy it." So and so, so and so just loves it, and she's holding a dog and she's holding the dog out to the guy. Yeah. That's supposed to be the Dobrys. Oh, although I'm not sure if that dog is supposed to be Phoebe. It's probably Phoebe, too. 
<laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, is that my theory that we've already uh, put forward is that they filmed the second and third act, the stuff with Geraldine and the stuff with Vincent, first realized they didn't have enough Oh, yeah. So I'm thinking that is really Phoebe, and they didn't expect to have to. They didn't expect to throw them off a throw them off a cliff. Yeah, they they and they that. liked work. They they were like, call up that 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 old couple. They'll you yeah. know. Or... Yep, yep. So they probably a lot of the people involved in it probably all knew each other. You know, in this yeah. the sort of thing. You know. But for for all that for all its cheapness, it's uh, it's uh, it's surprisingly like kind of classy mm-hmm. <laughs> in its own yeah, way. Always something you will notice, and I think we're going to notice this when we get when we get to Candy Stripe Nurses in a couple of phases. Um, that the softcore films take one of two routes either they go totally gonzo sleazy or they try to be an art film and this one is trying yeah. to be an art film yeah 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 and and those ones always have a very naive quality to them because right. they're they're being you know they're being very like coy about it in a way but this one this one has a lot of the trappings of the uh, of the sleazier stuff, you know, and the the Russ Meyer stuff, you know, the the crimes, the the crime related youth gone wild sort of stuff, too. But it just wings off into another direction. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Let's put it that way. Um. What also surprises me is that Ray Danton was originally supposed to be directing this film. Ray Danton is an actor who, to me, is perhaps best known for playing uh, Derek Flint in the in the Flint TV pilot, and he is no James Coburn. Unlike uh, Ed Bishop, who we could say has a little bit of James Coburn in him. Oh, that sounded rude. But... Well, you never know in Hollywood, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that's how Mark Hamill was made. That's exactly. Uh, I want to. I want to give you some of the taglines for this film because it had several. <laughs> uh, it was also known in some theaters as submission, which makes it sound a little more salacious than it is. It but... makes it sound more S and M. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a bit at the ver- at the th- during the third there's act. There's a whip in it. Yes, there is. There is a whip, and there's a whipping, and they're using one of those Hollywood whips that puts a little bit of ketchup on the on your back when it hits you. So, okay, so so here are some of the taglines. There's an animal in every woman. That sounds like an even more. That sounds like an illegal movie. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll try this one on for a size. They're all looking for a master. Oh, man. That definitely sounds sm- like smut. That, sound, that sounds like you're just, like, trolling the ger- glorious Steinems of the time. Yeah. Pets. They're always hungry. Yeah, yeah. But that just, that just like... Makes you think of like pooper scoopers too. <laughs> okay, here's breakout or be broken. This prison was hell. And uh, I, I actually think that one is the one that sounds more most like a film. They all sound they all they all sound darker than it actually yeah, is. Than the film actually is. Yeah. And, and here's one that makes it sound the, the last one I'm going to read you, which sounds really dark. They groveled at his feet for a taste of the whip in his hand. The thing is, nobody groveled at his feet for a no. taste of the whip in his hand in well, this movie. <laughs> the the two women who who 
interact with Vincent, basically call him a tool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They certainly oh. do. The, the The second one has no interest in him, period. <laughs> well, yeah, Gerald, the, 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 we can't call her a lesbian out front, but she's a lesbian lesbian. Yeah, she's she's flat out like and 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 it's it's really funny because like she states stuff in that movie that must have been more radical in its day mm-hmm. than it is now when she she she's just like I wish you could li-, you know like men and she's just like hey I'm you know I am what I am and I'm happy with what I am and I was just like oh okay that's very uh that's very like the last couple decades more than 1973 it must have been a little more little more on the edge then but she wasn't you know portrayed as being completely off she was off she was crazy in just sort of a yeah a neurotic way you but know they had a ner- to show her doing something bad so that her ultimate comeuppance yes made sense yes you know although in in i guess in the context of the movie what she did was bad but that's what she probably should have done in the first place, because this yeah. guy was breaking like and and what was really confusing to me is I saw it and I'm like, oh, her brother caught up with her because the guy looks that's just like the guy who played her brother. And I'm like, OK, so, you know, OK, I'll just go with movie logic. And the brothers found them somehow mm-hmm. after surviving his beating. And now he's pissed. But, you know, and he's this guy broke into their house with a knife mm-hmm. and. They come to a Robin point where showing the knife, not just sneaking around and then pulling out the knife when they they find him. No, he's he's when when you first see him, he's he's lurking through the house with the knife held out, point out in yes. front of him, you know, in stabbing. And he is he is doing a Charles Manson, you know, creepy crawl in the night mm. sort of creep through a house. And so. In in the course of the, when they discover him and pull a gun on him, you know, and he he's you know, hey look, I'm hungry and I blah blah blah. Just just the fact yeah. that Bonnie is like, oh, I feel sorry for him because she thought he was cute, and right. that the other woman that she goes that Wonder Woman goes along with it <laughs> is just ridiculous, you know. Mm-hmm. It just defies all logic, you know. Hangs up on the yeah. police and says, "Okay, well, he can stay one night, but, or you know, yes, or, no, she didn't let him stay one night. That's right. They sort of snuck. No, him no, in. They, she snuck her in. Yeah, she. Yeah, yeah, but, but, you know, she, I mean, yeah, she definitely murdered him the next day. She set <laughs> she set it up so that he died with the knife yeah. in his hand, just to, just you know, to spite it, but. I, you know, just the the portrayal, and he they were trying to portray him as a as a sympathetic character, and just sort of this like. You should have shown him breaking into a house with a knife in his hand. Exactly, exactly. You 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 could have easily, you know, yeah. It was it was just very muddled, but yeah, she had that. Otherwise, she wouldn't have done anything to deserve her. Her, her final face, fate, yeah. which I guess is being locked in a cage till somebody comes and finds him or whatever. I don't know. He's a famous I art think, critic. Somebody's going to check in on him. I, I don't I think the implication was that the animals were going to, to eat them or something. Yeah, they were locked, but, but they were locked but in locked their in cage. The cage. So, so, you know, maybe the raccoon could get in there and scratch him up real good. But yeah, that, you know, they were rabies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm 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 hoping the 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 way he was talking himself up that he had all his pets, you know, up on their shots and stuff like right. that. Right. He prided himself in being a, a responsible master. Yes. So he probably had so probably like the next week the vet would have been coming in. Right. Although I don't know how the, he must have had like a special arrangement of the vet for <laughs> for the special area with the with for his special pets. It's it's you know it's funny because I think that this kind of reflects what the sixty even though this is a film from 1973 it kind of reflects what the 60s thought BDSM was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know when it's 
actually a lot more complex than that. It's a lot more people seem to forget that BDSM is more of a symbiotic relationship. Right. And and I think I think what happened was the, the author of the play wanted to write, you know, it was his statement on you know, the battle of the sexes and right. the, the friction between femi- the new, newly, you know, rising feminism and and old masculinity and stuff. But he thought, well, you know, to, you know, make it of the time, I'll throw a little of this BDSM stuff in here. So that means we're going to need a whip. Yeah. In here somewhere. And yeah. And it, it's just the, the sur- very surface trappings. Right of it it was kind of not that i want to acknowledge this particular piece of fiction by comparing it to this film but it's it's kind of like the 50 shades of gray of its day yeah yeah sure because so but it's Quaint, I think, is the, is the word I'm looking for. Yes. In that you expect, you look at the poster, and you look at the description, and you expect something sleazier than it really is. It's kind of weirdly wholesome. Yeah, and actually, you would think that would not work in its favor, but mm. it does. It, it does. You would think that would make it feel disappointing or because let's face it it's a i'm not coming to it to see a merchant ivory movie right so coming to see candy realson's breasts right you know or or some or or, yeah and yeah some some form of bad girlness come on right so but it's it's uh it's got enough to it's it's it it keeps moving it keeps moving and it's entertaining even when it doesn't make sense it's fine to just sort of roll along with it, and it sort of becomes fun that it's not making sense because it's just like, okay, let's see where this, let's see where we're going with this, you know? Right. So, um, yeah, this was this was a strange film. <gasps> yes. Um. Which, which normal movie have we watched yet? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um. Maybe Eat My Dust is the closest thing to a to an actual normal movie. movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, the arena had one too. The yeah. arena was kind of kind of had a story. It wasn't the greatest story in the world and yeah. it was an excuse to see breasts, which is what most softcore f- films are. Yes. So Oh no, we had a shower scene in we had a shower scene in um eat my dust too never mind (laughs) yeah yeah but it was it was from it was from christopher what's her name's back yes that is a weird name for for that actress (laughs) because sorry she didn't look like a christopher to me yeah me neither trust me (laughs) be living a different life if that's how i looked you know talking about this and how it, it it's kind of plays around with S and M makes me think we should follow this up with a film that also plays around with S and M, but in a uh, kind of different way. So I'm thinking next time I'm going to assign to you the the little scene oddity from the early '80s. The Pearls of Gwendolyn in the Land of the Yik Yak. I have heard of this. This is based on a French BDSM fetish comic. And it stars a very young Tony Katane, who I had a serious thing for back in the 80s, and a young pre Elvira Cassandra Peterson. Oh, so um, so I think well, Tawny Katane gonna... was one of those actresses whose name described what she looked like. Uh, pretty much, <laughs> she is 
perhaps best known for for dancing on the hood of the car in that white snake video and being married to david coverdale for a while yeah but she i thought she was gorgeous and i still kind of think she's gorgeous in retrospect because i saw recently another one of her films a film called witchboard which is not very good but she is very fetching in it but yes so the perils of gwendolyn in the land of the yik yak, yeah, I know it had a, a theatrical release because it was it was in theaters here in New York in the early '80s, but I I don't know what happened to it since then. It's, but yes, yeah. it's got to be out there. It's, it's got to be out, out there. there. It is, uh, and that'll be your assignment, and that'll like so we can continue talking about this idea of the perception of BDS and M in grindhouse cinema. And how it changes. Uh, this time it'll be it, BDSM with, with perms. With perms, yes. And uh, then, of course, we get the modern day conception of BDSM, which is BDSM with, the, with uh, Don Johnson's daughter. Um, <laughs> and very chaste BDSM, too. Yes. I, I, you're talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, right? Yes, yes. Yes. Mormon BDSM. Mormon BDSM. It's, it's uh, is I I believe maybe I'm getting her confused with the woman who wrote um the vampire stories. No, yeah, you're, you're thinking of of Stephanie Meyer, who is but, the, the the Twilight woman. Yeah, she is. Yes, a uh, right. Okay, Fifty Shades of Grey was fan fiction. That got ported into. Right, it was fan fiction of Twilight. That's, That's right. That's why I'm getting the two fused. So it's so it's second generation, you know, Mormon fever dream S and M. Right. So yeah, so yeah, it's gonna have to have a little dose of wholesome to it. <laughs> oh yeah. So, um, that will be your assignment and. I've got to clean up this mess left by that uh, unfortunate feral clone. So, Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Cause in this wicked world, some folks call me evil girl. They've got it wrong and they don't know.
is freaky. 